0: check out guardianvets.com now.
1: Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from. Feel free to shoot me an email isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com i will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes there's no charge for that my role my job is to connect good people with good people so with that we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview
0: if you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout pick up your phone and call guardian vets Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now.
1: Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal, slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams? Enter Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one, someday... Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they've helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice, Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks, or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit panaceafinancial.com today to see how they can get you started With your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of premise, member FDIC. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful? There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family-run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process to help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with offer first. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul, is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast, So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first, or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes, use VSP if you go directly to offer first, but I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay. So link in the show notes is going to take you to Offer First. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to Offer First directly and Offer First is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it, so check them out today. All right. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Tim Ireland, who is the owner and medical director at Newtontown Veterinary Hospital in Pennsylvania. He's been an owner for over 30 years and is a recent board member of the canine support teams and locally involved in the track and field as an assistant coach in his community. Dr. Ireland, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a a podcast that's been a hell of a time trying to get to be recorded. So thank you for, for being here. Yeah. Thank you for
2: having me. Appreciate
1: it. Yeah. So one of the big things we got connected through the Veterinary Financial Summit. So with Meredith Jones and her work there, and then being connected on LinkedIn, one of the big things that kind of caught my attention was some of the commentary you had around corporate medicine. And I would love to kind of start there. I know it's a big topic, but you know, you've you been an owner for over 30 years. What have you seen from corporate? What are your thoughts? I know you have a handful of them, so I'd love to jump in there and we'll go from there from our for our conversation today.
2: Yeah. Now, that that's I've uh, been rather opinionated, not a huge fan. Yeah. I guess when the first practice in my area went corporate, uh, was a very long time ago and I was actually excited about the idea that I thought that corporations being able to consolidate the things that can be consolidated you know, and having some control over standard of care that they might be able to offer excellent quality care even more cost effectively because they could consolidate HR and, you know, have better buying power. And what I found in my area is that they come in, they don't do anything with standard of care. They raise the prices and they don't pay people any better and they maximize profit. And I think, that that has gotten even worse with the venture capitalists coming in because they want their money back quickly. And so you know, if you have somebody that's investing in a business for three to five years or five to seven years and looking to roll up to the next biggest consolidator, then the focus truly is just on profit and the people and quality and unfortunately the pets are no longer the priority.
1: You made a comment that that was really but excellent that you said the lack of the investment in the people is, is pretty telling that it's kind of all bark, no bite. But if you go on, and we talked about like LinkedIn, right? You're on LinkedIn. That's how we got connected. I mean, you look at the posts, you look at what they talk about, right? It's all about the people. It's all about how wonderful their platform is for their doctors and how much they care and what they're investing into their people. And you would say, yeah, I don't believe that.
2: Well, I guess waiting to see One of my frustrations as a practice owner who has put his people first is they have the money to flood the airwaves. And so they're flooding the airwaves with the message that young veterinarians want to hear about mentorship and people first and all of this. But they have multiple decades of doing everything but that. And I'm putting out the same message but it's the message i've been putting out for 3 decades. and so if there's any entity that can flip the switch and put people first, you know, it's the corporate practices that they've done the research and they have the resources, but i guess i'll believe it when i see it.
1: what do you think the expectations of are of new grads and as you've tried to go out and have those conversations as you're trying to, you know, like a lot of other private practices grow, attract talent? What did those conversations look like?
2: Right. I mean, I think the biggest thing that so many of them are looking for is the mentorship. And we didn't really use the word mentorship, I don't think, when I was in school. But when we were getting out of school, you knew the practices, at least the ones in the local area where you were going to be left alone. And you knew the practices where you would have support. And if you really were somebody that wanted the hands-on and intensive mentorship um, you did an academic internship and the non-academic internships were pretty new at that time and those were for the people that wanted to get a ton of experience in a really short amount of time and you know and they could jump into practice uh, kind of head and shoulders above the crowd after that and I don't think anymore that internship outside of a teaching hospital Means mentorship at all. That's not been what I'm seeing.
1: Can you touch on that? Because I had noted that you talked about kind of internships versus mentorship and just how quickly someone that thinks they're getting mentorship, it's actually just like, hey, this is a position we're paying you and we want you to, to be working and we're not really there to kind of invest in you. Is that what you've seen or do you have any analogies or stories or comments on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be some degree of that. In private practices and in corporate practices. In, in corporate practices that are paying new grads what they're offering, I think you got to ask, what are they expecting in return? What kind of hours are they going to have to work and that kind of thing? But the thought that internship equals mentorship just isn't true in the corporate practice setting. 75% of the specialty hospitals in the US are now corporate owned and I have two associates that work for me that were both alone in the hospital overnight within their first two weeks on the job. And one of those was on her second shift. She was alone overnight and she had a phone number she could call if she got into trouble. But, you know, was pretty much told, don't call me. <laughs> yeah, um, And, you know, and so we wonder why they're burning out you know, why so many young people are looking for alternatives to clinical practice. And she came to me on the verge of leaving the profession a year out of school. And so I think we need to do better.
1: And when you say that we need to do better, I hear that a lot. You can wave your magic wand, right? You're able to structure how private practice, corporate, all these different things operate. What would you try to instill or build out there? to do better for these young new grads coming out that want mentorship that want to be able to grow that want to become fantastic doctors.
2: Right, and I think mentorship is different for everybody. Like my mentor, I knew was always available and you know, he wasn't hovering. I actually my very first day in surgery, yeah, I I walked into the practice and he said, "Yeah, you know how to do an enucleation? And I said, you know, I learned about it in school. Yeah, you know, he says, have you done one? I said, no. He said, so tell me what you would do. And I kind of went through what I remembered from class. And he said, sounds good. I'll be upstairs if you need me. <laughs> but, and he was, you know, a yellow away, And he did come back to check on me a couple of times. But I knew he was there. That I think today the students are coming out looking for a little bit more hands-on than that. Some of them are looking for a lot more hands-on than that. But there has to be a discussion, you know, that it can't just be, oh, that you offer mentorship, that's great, I want to work for you. What does mentorship look like at your practice? And have some idea of what you want it to look like. Mentorship at my practice, I actually reduce my surgery schedule and schedule with a new associate. So that I can scrub in with them, they can scrub in with me. When they get to a point where they want to try something new that they haven't done, I'm available for them. And you know, we meet every week. It's in the schedule that we're going to sit down and go over cases. And fortunate to have a crew of associates that will answer questions on the fly. And so, you know, my new new graduates don't need to wait for our meeting to ask their questions, but they know that they're going to have one-on-one time with me where we can kind of dig into things. And when they get to a point where they don't have specific cases that they've seen in the past week, then we pick a topic and dig in and just try to keep that educational process moving forward. Yeah, I love that.
1: And I know we kind of jumped into big, heavy questions. But just going through your ownership journey and experience, and can you kind of lay out what the team looks like today and kind of where your journey has led you from an ownership perspective?
2: Yeah, sure. I got out of school. If I wasn't the highest in my class, I was really close to the highest debt in my class and, you know, had hopes of being an orthopedic surgeon and didn't match on an internship and landed in Newtown with a guy that I just really gelled with and knew coming out of school that, I needed to be an owner if I was going to be able to pay my student loans. That I had, I guess, a guaranteed monthly income of $2,500 before taxes. My initial student loan payments were 17 something a month. And so, you know, I consolidated. And if I hadn't rolled them into my mortgage, I would be finishing my student loans this year, 2023. But I kind of came out with the mentality that I had to be an owner because I didn't have enough money which today it seems to be the opposite, that, you know, I have too much debt, so I can't be an owner, to me really is counterintuitive. But I was given an opportunity to buy my practice. I was two and a half years out of school, bought the practice, was basically a one and a half doctor practice. We grew it to two pretty quickly and then to three. And, and I guess I hired my fourth full-time associate. I was probably owner, of like maybe the sixth year. And so we grew really quickly, never wanted it to be, you know, Tim Ireland's vet hospital, that it's the Newtown Veterinary Hospital, had a guy coming out of an internship very early on that I tried to hire. And, and the reason he didn't take the job with me was that he thought I was too young and didn't believe me when I said that I would let him buy into the practice. And so, he, you know, took a job with an older vet because he saw ownership being a possibility sooner. And so I just really haven't had associates that were interested in owning the hospital. And not for lack of trying, but it just hasn't been there. And there was a time we had four full-time doctors that all lived in the zip code that the practice is in. And now I think I have seven associates. The shortest commute is about 30 minutes, I think. We have doctors now that work hard when they're at work. And when they're not in work, they want to be away from it. I was thrilled to death the first time I was recognized in the grocery store and didn't remember the client's name, but fortunately, I remembered the dog's name. So that yeah. was probably more important. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think there's been a transition, and, and I've grown to a size where one person can't come in and buy me that the practice generates $4 million a year and, you know, the corporates I get to offer literally almost every day. And I would really like to avoid that. So I'm looking for somebody that wants to be an owner and is actually looking for that type of mentorship that I have mentored and uh, medical directors probably have at least four associates that work for me that now own their own practice that, uh, you know, didn't want something the size of mine, but wanted to be an owner.
1: I mean, from those conversations, you feel like there's a, an underlying theme for why it's been a challenge? Because, I mean, you've grown and you don't want to sell the corporate, which is different from a lot of your peers, but you don't have someone from a private perspective that's either worked there or seen it that wanted to acquire it. Or has there been any attempts that just didn't work for a variety of reasons after you got farther down the road?
2: I had one that uh, you know it was somebody that i connected with when i was involved with the PVMA actually was her the state VMA uh, matched me with her when she was a student and i kind of mentored her for a long time and brought her in as medical director and i thought future partner and she commuted from an hour away for 4 years and and The week after she accepted medical director position, she found out she was pregnant, which was not planned, but certainly welcomed by all parties. And so when her daughter was ready to start preschool, she knew she couldn't be an hour away. And so it was a family decision on her part. Did we move closer to the hospital so that work and, and school are nearby? Or do we look for, you know, another opportunity and her husband who had a five minute commute was not willing to give up his commute. And so she resigned and she owns a fabulous hospital now that she built from scratch uh, closer to home. Which
1: is, I mean, I think you kind of described it as like almost like a coaching tree, right? Look at these famous coaches and then they have coaches that then go on and build great teams and have some great success. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. For someone listening that wants to become a practice owner, right that's location agnostic they're like hey tim that sounds great like how how do we do like are you open if someone wanted to reach out and say i want to have a conversation i want to keep it private like how do i you know start the process of buying the hospital i want to make that clear if that's the intent right because yeah there's going to be some day where the 150th offer from corporate comes in and you're like what do i do i don't want to shut the doors right you want to serve the community um you have to do something how do you wrestle with that Because i think that'd be extremely difficult
2: I certainly have had conversations, you know, with people that were not in my area and encouraged them and kind of mentor them from afar. And I'm happy to do that. But I think that there may be a misconception from an owner's perspective that I got to sell the whole practice all at once. And so I have to sell a corporate because nobody can afford it. But, you know, if you have a young associate that's interested in ownership and interested in investing in the hospital and wants equity and wants to grow the hospital, then you sell them a piece of it, whatever they can afford to buy. And the remainder of the hospital is still yours. And anything that they do to grow their shares is going to grow your shares. And it ends up being a win-win, well, maybe a win-win-win if your goal is to keep it out of corporate hands. And so, yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to talk to somebody that I'm currently medical director and I have stepped aside before so that other people could get that experience. And right now, my associates work really hard, but don't want the management side of it. And so I would love to just mentor my young, young vets and, you know, have somebody else keep an eye on protocols and keep an eye on staff training and, the things that a medical director can do to help grow the hospital. No,
1: I think it's well put. And I would agree. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing. And even just from a dollars and cents perspective, one big check is going to get taxed a little bit differently than a handful of smaller installment sales. And if you can find the right person and be able to transition it out over time, and maybe it's more than one person, right, for your case, but for others, it might be one person that wants to own it all, but they need to take bites of it, right? The, the old analogy, right? How do you eat an elephant? It's like one bite at a time, right? So if the, the practice purchase price, and there's agreement on ownership in that new buyer on wanting to do that, it's how do you structure that and, and go through where everyone is properly incentivized, everyone has clear expectations. I think that's always the tricky part, right? It's easy to talk about, hard to structure, hard to structure. It's easy to share in a podcast. It's hard, I think, to do in practicality, but I think that it can be a really powerful thing If that is the ultimate goal, which I, as one that's been a pro private practice person for a long time, appreciate that when, when someone in your shoes, like you has the ability to see beyond life changing money, if they wanted it tomorrow, but they've said, this is something that is important to me. I want to try to find a solution, but continuing to tell that story and talk about it. I appreciate that. And I think a lot of people probably do as well.
2: Yeah. No, and it's definitely, you know, you're talking about a partnership, you want it to be a long time deal, and it's got to be the right fit. I would like to think that it's a great opportunity for somebody to buy in as a minority partner. I guess there would be a lot of people that would hesitate to make an investment without necessarily having all the control of the owner if you're a minority partner. But I'm a pretty democratic leader incapable of making decisions without considering how they're going to impact the people around me. And so I think it's a great opportunity. When I bought my practice in order to keep the expenses down, you know, my mentor and I said that we would, you know, have one person do the appraisal and that we would hire one attorney to write the agreement. And, you know, we had to sign all kinds of legal paperwork because nobody wanted to do it that way. Sure, At the end of our settlement, where he went through each clause and said, you know, if I was advising the seller, I would tell you this. If I was advising the buyer, I would tell you this. And Fred and I would look at each other and say whether it was important to us or not and and make a decision. And there were things that were important to him and there were things that were important to me. And at the end, the lawyer got up and he said, I got to tell you, it's not even lunchtime. I blocked off the whole day for this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I would like to think that I would pass that on to somebody that was interested in community service. We've been in Newtown since 1936. The owner has lived in the zip code that the practice is in since 1936. That I would really like to keep it a community service.
1: You mentioned it earlier, and I tend to agree with you on the, hey, I have too many student loans. I can't be an owner, which it seems backwards, right? Like the easiest way to pay off more debt is to increase your income how do I increase my income? It would be by having equity in a practice. And I know that's an oversimplification. There's lots of other hurdles. So don't people listening yell at me too much you know, in their car or at home. I get that as oversimplification, but you can distill it down to those key tenants in that kind of structure. So why do you think student loans are the excuse, or do you think it's just at school, they're told that private practice is dead, there's no opportunities? I mean, have you heard... Feedback from folks, like, why do you think that that is the, the prevailing thought process of a lot of new grads?
2: It's scary as shit. I think it's really facing your fears, and you know, so much in veterinary medicine and in life, you're you know, you're weighing the your know, risk benefit analysis, and you know, how much risk are you willing to take? That when I bought my practice, I was single and had no dependents, and so I was able to work eighty hours and built the practice so I could hire people so that we didn't have to work like that. That if I was married with kids, I couldn't have made that commitment. And so I either wouldn't have bought the practice or it would have grown a lot slower. And so there's a, always a balancing act going on. But I think the biggest thing is just the fear. You know, you come out of school with a mortgage, 250000 $300,000 in debt. The idea of adding a zero to that is scary. I grew up in a blue collar family that I remember joking with my family asking to be a millionaire. Do you have to have a million dollars or just owe a million dollars?
1: In the millionaire thing, there's a really good quote from Morgan Housel, who's kind of a, he's a financial writer and he's very gifted, excellent, excellent at what he does. He talks about most people want to say they want to be a millionaire, actually want to spend a million dollars. They don't want to be a millionaire, right? Because the habits and the things that it would have, take to do that are not the same as spending a million dollars because everyone wants to spend a million dollars, right? They don't want to live like a lot of, you know, millionaires do because it's very different. Those are very different things. But yeah, (laughs) if I owe a million dollars, how does that work? Right. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit on student loans. We talked a little about that, talked about ownership, the opportunity that's there. Other advice that you would give to veterinarians that are either in school, coming out of school, younger in their career, just in general, of what they should be thinking about, what they should consider, I guess, just
2: really open-ended? Some of that I would throw on them. I think veterinary medicine right now is in crisis. There's, last time I looked, 14,000 associate postings on Indeed or something like that. And so the graduates coming out of school not only have opportunity to get paid more than legitimately they're worth to the practice, practices have to bite the bullet and make the investment because they're going to get it from somebody else. And so they have an opportunity to practice the way that they want to practice. And so I would say for any associate out there that's unhappy, whether it's somebody getting ready to graduate, looking for their first job, somebody finishing an internship that wasn't quite what they thought it should be, or, you know, an associate that's been out 10 years and just in a rut, you have opportunity to have the job you always dreamed of. And so have some idea what that looks like. Is it about compensation? Is it about the type of clients that you'll be taking care of? Is it about your work schedule? Everybody talks about work-life balance that to me is just balance, you know, that that's, I had I guess five and a half hours, I was up before the podcast. And I turned over half of my garden and did a lot of things that people would consider work. But that's my therapy, getting my hands in the dirt and cleaning out the cow shed. And so you you have to have enough things in your life that bring you joy and keep you grounded. And work can do that. And to think about what things in a job would bring you joy and be willing to put that into words for an employer so that they know if they can offer you that or not.
1: So when you say that veterinary medicine isn't a crisis, it's a crisis because it's so hard to find veterinarians. It's a crisis because mental health. It's a crisis because student loan debt, or is it just yes to all those things? Or when you say crisis, I guess, unpack what you think the crisis is there.
2: It's all the above that anybody that's followed me Keep saying it's a universal problem and it requires a universal response. And so, in order to fix veterinary medicine, I think we need the educational institutions, both veterinary and and vet tech. We need state boards. You know, I happen to be in a state where we license technicians, but there's no title protection. There's no definition of scope of practice, and so there's not anything that. They can do in my hospital that requires them to have a license. And so, you know, I think the state boards need to be involved. I think that the insurance companies have to be involved. The prices have gotten so high that access to care is a concern. And the one thing that came out of COVID and the private equity invasion is everybody's prices went up, you know, and so staff is making more money. But every time I raise my prices, there's somebody that can't come in. And so, that's where the shelters have to get involved the municipalities have to get involved so you're looking at local government state government federal government because if people can't access basic preventive care then we have outbreak of zoonotic disease that's going to start in the communities that are already underserved on the medical side and so it's a big problem you know the mental health aspect certainly is big and i think that we've taken strides In the right direction for that, with work schedules and other things, but we still have corporate-owned ER where economic euthanasia is happening every day. And I think that young vets need to understand that it's not that way everywhere. That when the owner is in the next room and you can tell them, you know, I got a nine-month-old dog that has a pyometra on her first heat, and the owner can't afford it. What do I do? That There needs to be alternatives that are other than, you know, especially hospital $5,000 surgery or euthanasia. And so I think a lot of young vets that have been through like emergency internships think that there is no middle ground. And so there's people working on trying to put that message out there. I think Kate is talking to calling it spectrum of care that I always just called it practicing veterinary medicine. You know, you offer, gold standard care. And if the people can't afford it, then you figure out what to do. That corporate practices, there's nobody available to ask that question. And so you're kind of forced into a corner where you can't always offer alternatives.
1: I'm going to simplify. I wonder if you would agree with me. But to me, a lot of those points stem back to financial or money in general. Do you think that's accurate or no?
2: I mean, I think that Money plays a role, but no, I don't – I think part of the reason that veterinary medicine is in the crisis that we're in is practice owners, whether corporate or independent, have always taken advantage of the type of person that's drawn to veterinary medicine. And so nobody goes into veterinary medicine to make a lot of money. We go into it because we care, and we don't want to leave a job that we're unhappy at because – We care about our patients or we care about our team. And so until we start to stand up for ourselves and say our employer needs to do better and be willing to walk away, things are going to change slowly. I think it's more the model of how we offer care that yes, we need to pay better, but I think that you get away with paying less if it's an awesome job. I think it's been for a long time a really hard job and not great pay and so i don't know that it's just financial i think that there needs to be a cultural shift as well
1: yeah the reason the reason i talked about the you know if i boil it down to money is if education cost is so much higher the cost of practicing has gotten so much higher right just what the inputs are from a cogs perspective then if I'm a younger veterinarian, just the practice valuations are so much higher because you're getting pushed by others. Like there's a there's this compounding effect where even life, just to pay for food and energy and housing and all those other things, are higher. It seems like that is also what's forcing the cost of care to go up to a certain extent, right? Is because of the idea of you know what I call, you know, inflation is an insidious thing. And so inflation has kind of gone through and pushed all these things up to a point where it is absolutely pushing people out of. The spectrum there, but I don't necessarily know if that's a veterinary and specific thing, right? That's almost an economic thing. That's almost a, a monetary thing, which I'm not trying to turn the conversation into that, but that's the way that my mind looks at it is sure. There are things that within veterinary medicine that can be worked on. Like you talked about the way that the care is provided, the options given corporate versus private, like all those things matter, but it's like, I think it's almost up a level higher than some of that we don't have to necessarily dig in to like agree or disagree, but I hearing, you I'm like, man, so many of those things all kind of flow back. It's like further upstream. How do we go further upstream to those things? I wonder if that's, I'm, I'm going to think about that a little bit more, but that's kind of where my mind went initially.
2: Right. Yeah. That I certainly don't know the answer. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here,
1: I'm here like thinking about it as we're going through. I'm like, Hmm, that's where my mind goes. And that's where I feel like I've identified just in, handful of things that you just articulated, where those stem from. And yeah, we'll see. Maybe someone listening will have the answers, but I don't know if we do at the moment. (laughs) But it, it even goes back. One of the other things you talked about too, was that, you know, a lot of veterinarians right now wouldn't encourage someone younger that they care about to go into vet med. And that's, to me, is extremely sad. Extremely sad, right? Like you talked about it. You were blown away, humbled, excited, thrilled to be recognized in your local community as the veterinarian, right? And for so many people, they're like, yeah, you don't you don't even want this career at all. And just that shift and that change is, is
2: sad to see. My message to that is because you hate your job doesn't mean you picked the wrong career. I can't imagine anybody that has made the investment to get all the way through vet school, financial, personal you know, investment in every sense of the word, to think that they made a bad choice is really sad. That proud to say my daughter's her first year vet student and she was working in a corporate owned specialty hospital while she was applying. And every single intern resident attending that found out she was applying to vet school, tried to talk her out of it. hundred percent. Not a single one supported her. I've lost count of the number of people that have come through my hospital that have gone on to vet school. And it's a fabulous profession. You just need to land in the right spot. That I think if you know, take a look at the things that you're most unhappy with, veterinary medicine, that degree opens so many doors. Don't think that going to vet school was ever a mistake. You know, you followed your heart and you were smart enough to have the opportunity to do that. That if you're unhappy, it's not because you're a veterinarian. It's because you not, haven't found the right job yet. What
1: haven't I asked about that you think is really important that you'd want to share, but that's on your heart or mind?
2: I love being a veterinarian. I love being the owner. You know, it's given me opportunities. There definitely have been headaches and some nightmares. COVID was one, you know, in the beginning, asking my people that I care about to risk their lives so that I could keep my hospital open because I was being told I should keep my hospital open um, was brutal. And right now, the most stressful thing that I face is I'd never dreamed would be an issue in veterinary medicine, and that's gone to work every day knowing I'm going to have to say no to somebody, you know, and that's where I think the model needs to change. We don't have enough skilled professionals, vets and licensed techs to meet the current need, and so we need to figure out ways to be more efficient so that we can uh, turn fewer people away. That that's brutal. Nobody wants to do that.
1: So for every guest that comes on the show, I always let them ask me a question. And it can be something serious. It can be something about our conversation. It can be something totally out of the blue or out of left field. Is there any question or anything that you want to know or a question you'd like to pose back to me?
2: When's the last time you shaved your beard? Ooh, so this has come up
1: a couple times, not quite phrased that way. But so I would. the last (laughs) time I was clean shaven would have been pre-Christmas of 2019. So not that long ago. No, 2018. Sorry. And the reason that I've kept it and the reason that I started growing it out was I had forgotten all my stuff at home when I was up at my in-laws. I was like, shoot, it's kind of grown out a little bit more than what I would normally keep it. If we find out that we're having a boy, I'll grow out a beard. And so when we found out we were having our son, I was like, I'm just going to keep it. And so now it's on the podcast artwork. It's on all kinds of things, but there will come a day where I'll just show up all of a sudden to a podcast or an event or something and it'll just be gone. There's a couple of triggers that will cause that, but I'm, I'm holding that those cards close to the vest as far as when that is. So, yeah, that's the story on that. So my beard is to my eldest son, really, is why I have it. So yeah, right. to wrap up our wide ranging, but I think really interesting conversation that I don't know if I've had. Had one that makes, because I'm still going back to what you talked about earlier, me thinking about that. like I can't get that out of my mind now. A for, there are people that list this podcast that I know want to own practices that are entrepreneurial, that want things. Where would you send them? How do they reach out to you to connect if they're like, hey, I want to talk to Dr. Ireland. I might be interested in finding a way to work for him or finding a way to talk about an acquisition or buying in or becoming a partner or any of that stuff. Where would you send them? Is it LinkedIn? Is there an email? Is there a website? How can people connect with you outside of the podcast?
2: Yeah, I mean the vet hospitals, Newtownvet.com. If they want to find out more about the practice, it needs to be updated, but it's there. LinkedIn is the easy way. I don't check it every day, but I am good at getting back to people that way. Happy to have a conversation with anybody. The last person I talked to was a husband and wife that, you know, wanted to open their own practice and just wanted to pick my brain about it. Sure. Yeah love that.
1: Thank, thank, thank you for what you've done from a, the standpoint of being intentional with how you work with other veterinarians to help set them up for what they're trying to find. And my hope is at some point down the road, maybe I'll see an announcement that you found kind of the next owner of the clinic that can can perpetuate some of the cool stuff going on because that stat of you know 1936, right? Having an owner of the hospital live in the zip code that's pretty special. And that's something that's really unique that I think for the right person is meaningful. And as someone that grew up in a small town and for someone that kind of is a sucker for nostalgia and stuff like that, I love it. So I hope that you, know, you could have some good fruitful conversations in the near future. And then my last piece of advice, not even advice, but just, I don't think anyone should feel guilty if there's no other way other than corporate, but I think having the mindset that I really want to, this is what my dream and goal is, is to find someone to find it i love that and i want to support it so thank you for the time thank you for coming on and um appreciate it and i'm glad we were able to get this done even with all our technical challenges and stuff before we hit record right so thanks for sticking with me
2: yeah thank you all right so there
1: are a lot of great job postings that i want to get to and so we're going to start off with bayside hospital for animals great work-life balance in beautiful fort walton beach florida no weekends Monday to Friday, 8 to 5, no on-call or emergencies. It's a appointment only here. Currently a two-and-a-half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes, and the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. Prosal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call eight five zero eight six four one, eight, five, seven, join a thriving, growing small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal part-time is considered the idea is to start with yes, with the team patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise, while uh, being able to practice high quality medicine compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally it is the owner wants to t- find the right person and is happy to negotiate chat through and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos? Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there. So no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. So type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital. Personable small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on call, uh, 24 hour ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95,000. Can be straight salary, pro sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know, and we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job and not podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say, bring the mess, right? Like if things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up, and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? But I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links, information, head over to the podcast.com There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes, whether you listen on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, Hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon.